welcome to the Someone Somewhere podcast. It's Tuesday, November 10th, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode 41. This episode is brought to you by hashtag FamTaughtMe, my fertility awareness education initiative. You can find all of my fertility awareness blogs on Patreon at www.patreon.com FamTaughtMe, and you can follow me on Instagram at FamTaughtMe to learn more. I'm available for one-on-one consultations, and I'd love to consult with you. I've also created the FAM Taught Me Paper Charting Journal and my new book, A Guide to Fertility Awareness as Contraception. I invite you to check it out on my Patreon, where you can order these resources directly. Today's podcast is going to be about something I have a lot of experience with, unfortunately. When I was about 17 years old, I developed debilitating migraines. I struggled for years with trying to figure out what caused them and how to get them to stop, but they kept on reoccurring. I finally secured health insurance, and when I got to the doctor, they told me there was no explanation for them, that my only option would be to take pharmaceutical painkillers. I struggled throughout my college experience, even giving up drinking entirely at one point because I was determined to figure out if there were any migraine triggers. I started tracking my migraines when I learned fertility awareness, and I figured out that I was having two to four migraines per month, each lasting between 18 and 36 hours. I even prioritized freelancing so that I would have the flexibility to deal with migraine episodes. I was told to take over-the-counter painkillers like Excedrin migraine that were actually doing damage to my liver and making my migraines worse. I self-medicated with cannabis, but I couldn't control the strain I was purchasing, and so sometimes that didn't even work. In 2014, I started using combined oral contraceptives for the first time. My doctor never warned me of the risks related to migraines and strokes, even though my medical history form indicated that I already had suffered from chronic migraines. I was sadly prescribed a combined oral contraceptive, which made my migraines more painful, and they began to occur in increased frequency. The big alarm was one night in the first month on orthotricycline low. I threw up intermittently for the entire night until there was nothing left. The pressure in my head felt like nothing I had ever experienced before, and I already had quite a lot of experience dealing with migraines at this point. I debated going to the hospital, but because emergency health care is so expensive in the U.S., I didn't. My partner had a talk with me the next morning about whether this was truly the right decision to use oral contraceptives, and again, I just assured him that I could just tough it out and things would get better. I know that everything happens the way that it's supposed to, and I was supposed to become an advocate for fertility awareness, but I wish I hadn't put myself through that misery. As many of you already know, I got off the pill after one year and began my fertility awareness journey, and fertility awareness is the reason that I was able to get a handle on my migraine pain, even though I had no knowledge or expectation that one would be able to affect the other. We've been taught that the reproductive system is separate from the brain, but this is absolutely not true. Migraines are a sign of a deeper imbalance, and fertility awareness charting can help you figure out what's going on and how to make sense of it. The way you can develop an action plan that can bring you immediate relief and prevent migraines in the long term, too, 
is your best bet. In 2019, I got really serious about developing a migraine protocol, and gradually my migraines began to slow down and now have stopped. I haven't had a migraine in 16 months. So this makes me feel completely transformed, and there's probably nothing more impactful to my life than correcting my issue with chronic migraines. I empathize with everyone who is suffering with migraine pain, because it's some of the worst debilitating pain, and because it occurs randomly, many people are not aware of how disabling it really is. So let's get into some info about migraines and what we can do to prevent them. What is a migraine, and how is it different from a headache? A migraine is a spectrum of headaches associated with either vascular constriction or vascular dilation. The pain is contained to one area of the head with a pulsating type of pain, often in one of the temples, and sometimes extending down to the back of the head and neck, whereas a headache is generalized pain or pressure throughout the head area. There are also other symptoms, like nausea, vomiting, sensitivity to light and sound. Migraines are not well understood because of being understudied and dismissed as psychosomatic, and so they need to be studied more, especially considering how many people are suffering. But the main theory is that there is impaired serotonin metabolism. This causes cerebral arteries to dilate and spasms occur in the extracranial blood vessels. Migraines are also rooted in deficiency specifically deficiency in minerals that are necessary to produce protective and calming neurotransmitters. There are a couple different types of migraines. The first are classic migraines. These have some warning before they begin. They usually contain an aura, which is a state of altered vision. Sometimes a cloudy or flashing light is visible in your view, and you may experience nausea and light and noise sensitivity. The second are common migraines. These begin more slowly than classic migraines, but you may feel some symptoms of depression, tiredness, or opposite feelings of hyperactivity or anxiety beforehand. This type of migraine has no aura, but the symptoms are generally the same. Now, I can't say that either of these exclusively defined my migraines, and that's okay, because these are just guidelines for, so far, a pretty poorly understood condition. And lastly, I want to talk about what is a menstrual migraine, because you may have heard this term before. So a menstrual migraine has the same symptoms as regular migraines. It is simply called menstrual to denote its relationship to the menstrual cycle, and if it correlates to fluctuations in menstrual cycle hormones. Now we know that the menstrual cycle is naturally optimal when in a state of change, but menstrual migraines may indicate an impaired regulation of those natural changes, an imbalance of hormone ratios, or a sensitivity to those fluctuations. There are a couple different types of menstrual migraines. Pure menstrual migraines are migraine attacks that occur exclusively just before or during menstruation and are not present at any other times in the cycle, roughly 10% of menstruating people with migraines. Then there's menstrually related migraines, which are migraine attacks that occur most often just before or during menstruation, but also at other points in the cycle. This is much more common. And then there's sort of a third category, which is migraine attacks that occur at the end of the menstrual bleed. So this would be like cycles day five, six, or seven. 
caused by menstrual blood loss, and further study is needed about this particular type of menstrual migraine. I would put myself in the menstrually related migraine category, which is going to be the case for most people. And that's because my migraines occurred across the spectrum of different days on my cycle. So here's how migraines are connected to, but not caused by, menstrual cycle hormones. This distinction is important to note because it's very easy for us to slip into this curse of Eve mentality that menstruation is destined us for chronic pain. Now studies show that migraines can be triggered by a drop in estrogen. This is why the premenstrual or luteal phase is often the most likely time to experience a migraine because this is when estrogen makes its final descent towards its lowest levels at menstruation. One study showed that day-to-day hormone levels were similar for people with migraines and controls, but that there were, quote, significant differences in the rate of estrogen withdrawal that were phase-specific in the late luteal phase and time-specific, or two days post-peak of estrogen. This means that the first big drop in estrogen that occurs around ovulation, as well as the final drop in estrogen to baseline, which occurs before you bleed, are both trigger times for migraines. Now this has been congruent with my experience. Through fam charting, I figured out that the majority of my headaches seem to occur around ovulation when estrogen is beginning to drop for the first time, or right around the time of bleed. So that would be either the day before or day one or two. You can see this displayed visually in the charts by looking at cervical fluid and basal body temperature. Now another possible hormonal connection is the presence of inflammatory prostaglandins in the days leading up to and during menstruation, especially those who experience menstrual pain or heavy bleeding. Studies show that prostaglandins dilate intracranial and extracranial arteries and cause headache in healthy volunteers and migraine attacks in migraine patients. This suggests that addressing menstrual pain may also play a part in discouraging the frequency and severity of menstrual migraines. Your body produces one type of inflammatory prostaglandin, PGE2, that causes uterine contractions and in high levels can lead to menstrual pain. But in healthy menstrual cycles, your body also pumps out two other types of prostaglandin, PGE1 and PGE3, that are antispasmodic and ease contractions. So it's possible that migraines are related to an excess of the PGE2 inflammatory prostaglandin. This has also been true to my experience. As I cured my menstrual cramps over the last few years, I've seen a reduction in migraine attacks. And this is an example of when you fix one thing that everything that it's interconnected to is also responding. Now let's talk about migraines and deficiencies, allergies, and toxin exposure. Attributing migraines to the menstrual cycle hormones seems to make sense, but what if this isn't the whole story? I find that this is a convenient diagnosis that is sometimes to the detriment of an individual patient and their needs. There are other factors at play besides the menstrual cycle hormones, even if you suffer from menstrual migraines. So I want to take some time to discuss all of the other factors that impact chronic migraine conditions and what you can do to address them. 
I'll start with mineral deficiency. At least 50% of people with migraines are magnesium deficient. Magnesium is an essential mineral for many intracellular processes and affects serotonin receptor function and the release of many different types of neurotransmitters. Blood tests are a poor way to measure magnesium stores and thus they cannot be used to accurately identify a deficiency. According to recent estimates, 48% of Americans consume inadequate magnesium from food. The widespread use of aggressive farming practices such as heavy pesticide application has depleted the soil of magnesium on many commercial farms. As a result, food grown in these soils often is magnesium deficient. Organic and biodynamic farms typically have higher magnesium in the soil, which is then taken up by the crops. So when possible, try to source your food from small farms where attention is placed on soil fertility. One study shows that intravenous magnesium reduces acute migraine attacks within 15 to 45 minutes, 120 minutes, and 24 hours after the initial infusion and oral magnesium alleviates the frequency and intensity of migraine. Intravenous and oral magnesium should be adapted as parts of a multimodality approach to reducing migraines. There are lots of anti-nutrients to be on your radar as well. This isn't to say that you should totally eliminate foods that contain anti-nutrients but you do want to know how much of them you consume so that your diet has a balance that includes lots of nutrient-dense, mineral-rich foods. And you also want to pair foods that counteract their effects. Phytic acid is the main anti-nutrient found in grains and legumes that blocks the absorption of minerals. These are minerals that we need to prevent migraines and do lots of other essential functions in our bodies, like make thyroid hormone and to ovulate. Phytic acid can tie up high percentages of calcium, copper, iron, magnesium, phosphorus, and zinc, preventing their absorption. So always soak your nuts or beans to reduce phytic acid content, and you can pair foods that contain phytic acid with vitamin C and vitamin A-rich foods to counteract phytic acid, sometimes called phytate, and increase the absorption of iron. Phytic acid also inhibits digestive enzymes specifically ones that help break down starch and protein. The gut-brain axis certainly has the potential to be involved in the regular recurrence of migraines. Studies have shown that probiotics positively impact migraine frequency and intensity. Oxalates are another anti-nutrient that negatively impacts migraines. Migraines may also be triggered by certain food sensitivities, namely foods with aspartame, sodium glutamate, or benzoate. Food allergies can be very individual, so look for other signs that these foods are harmful, like rashes, acne, and other symptoms. Gluten is commonly discussed as a trigger, but it could possibly be attributed to an association with pesticides commonly used on wheat, such as glyphosate, though more research is needed. In my own experience, I found that cutting out gluten did not affect my migraines, but studies have shown that it does lessen migraine attacks, and gluten is also an anti-nutrient. And then there's water and air quality. We don't talk enough about how our environment is connected to migraines. In the case of tap water, 
the quality of water you have access to can make a big difference in your health. Chlorine, in particular, is responsible for magnesium depletion in the body, commonly found in tap water. Fluoride has also been known to show an accumulation in the pineal gland, and this is the gland that stores brain serotonin, produces melatonin, and regulates the sleep cycle. All components that are connected to migraine attacks. Lastly, tap water is contaminated with all kinds of pharmaceuticals and other chemicals. You can use the EWG tap water database to see what's in your municipality's water. In 2016, I switched to using a filtration system for all of my drinking and cooking water for waterborne contamination removal. And I plan to switch to rainwater harvesting and the same filtration, probably ceramic filtration, for my future water needs. In 2010, American Society presented the findings of a study into a migraine and pollutants and found that migraine sufferers are at a greater risk of attacks on poor air quality days. Traffic-related gaseous pollutants may be associated with higher odds of migraine headache onset in cold season. Various air pollutants including lead, carbon monoxide, nitrogen dioxide, sulfur dioxide, and particulate matters are known to have positive association with migraine intensity, frequency, and duration, as well as the rate of doctor visits due to migraine attacks. Where you lived as a child, where you live now, the quality of your air, your housing, water, and water pipes, these are all factors in your chronic migraine attacks. If you are ever offered contraceptives as a way to treat menstrual migraines, you should strongly reconsider this. Shutting down the menstrual cycle with contraceptives is not going to address the root of your migraine pain. Even if your menstrual cycle is causing migraines to happen on a cyclical basis, they are likely to worsen on any combined hormonal contraceptive that contains estrogen. Migraines are your body seriously trying to alarm you of something, and ignoring that signal can be detrimental, and it can also be life-threatening. One study found that the joint effect of combined hormonal contraceptives in migraine with aura was associated with a six-fold increased risk of ischemic stroke compared with neither risk factor. Use of combined hormonal contraceptives did not substantially further increase risk of ischemic stroke among women with migraine without aura. Now, after learning this and having my own frightening experience with the worst migraine of my life, In the first month that I had used the pill, I'm horrified that my doctor didn't give more thought to prescribing me a pill containing the xenoestrogen ethanol estradiol. This is something to consider if you are currently using hormonal contraceptives and suffering from migraines. Now I'd like to speak about the importance of a preventative regimen for migraines. The most important change I made regarding my migraines was to change my perspective on how to deal with them. I needed to stop looking for doctors for the answers and to start from scratch. I had to stop thinking about treating the pain and I had to plan to start to investigate the root causes. If at all possible, consulting with an herbalist, a naturopath, a Chinese medicine practitioner, acupuncturist, or Ayurvedic may be able to help you more than a Western doctor can. 
their approach is to treat the root dysregulation. And that can offer you more individualized insight and a treatment protocol that can sustain with the goal of bringing you into remission. With that said, I want to share what I've learned about earth medicine and its usefulness for treating migraines. Thankfully, there are some studies to refer to here. As I mentioned earlier, magnesium, this is the big one. Magnesium calms your nervous system, reduces inflammation, and stabilizes serotonin receptors. Magnesium also prevents the release of substance P, which is a pain-promoting neurotransmitter involved in migraines. You can be aggressive, taking anywhere from 300 to 600 milligrams daily before sleep. The best bioavailable forms of magnesium are glycinate or chloride. Lectin signs sea brine baths and transdermal magnesium spray are also good choices for magnesium absorption. While we're on the subject of magnesium, we might as well talk about glycine as well. Magnesium glycinate, or biglycinate or diglycinate, is the magnesium salt of glycine that you get when the amino acid glycine binds with the magnesium molecule. You may see some forms of magnesium marketed as chelated, and this means that the magnesium is better absorbed because it doesn't break down in the digestive process. Instead, it's carried to your cells while bound to the amino acid glycine. And glycine positively impacts migraines by supporting the nervous system and supporting the production of the detoxification enzyme, glutathione. Vitex, or chaseberry, protects the hypothalamus from chronic stress, containing opiate-like constituents which calm your nervous system. Migrainous women with PMS were enrolled in a study and advised to assume a treatment with 40 milligrams per day for PMS for a three-month period. Effects both on PMS and headache were assessed. Out of 107 women, 100 completed this three-month treatment for PMS. So out of the 100, 66 reported a dramatic reduction in PMS symptoms, 26% a mild reduction, and 8% no effect. Concerning migraine, 42% of patients experienced a reduction higher than 50% of frequency in monthly attacks, and 57% of patients experienced a reduction higher than 50% in monthly days with a headache. You can try 25 days on and 5 days off with Vitex during the follicular phase, which is Generally, you could start after menstruation ends, but before ovulation happens. The most important time to use Vitex is in the premenstrual phase. Riboflavin, or vitamin B2, normalizes the production of serotonin and improves the function of a gene called MTHFR that has been linked to migraines. It's also been shown to reduce the frequency of migraines by 50%. Another study could demonstrate a significant reduction of headache frequency following riboflavin treatment. In addition, the number of abortive anti-migraine tablets was reduced. In line with previous studies, our findings show that riboflavin is a safe and well-tolerated alternative in migraine prophylaxis, said one study. Try starting with 200 milligrams twice daily. I also want to speak about melatonin and Chinese skullcap. 
Melatonin reduces inflammation and stabilizes serotonin and GABA. Melatonin is an upstream antioxidant. Many of its metabolites created when our bodies process it or when the plant compound detoxifies oxidants are also potent antioxidants. It's also synergistic with a number of antioxidant enzymes and other antioxidants like vitamin C, vitamin E, and glutathione. Using plants high in melatonin, which is more effective than using melatonin supplements, can normalize the circadian rhythms, including the sleep cycle, and reduce inflammation in the brain and central nervous system. The constituents of Chinese skullcap do enter the plasma in substantial amounts. Bicolensis, the scientific name for Chinese skullcap, is strongly concentrated in the lungs, brain, and hippocampus, in the liver, kidneys, and the lungs. It concentrates in the brain, specifically in the striatum, thalamus, and hippocampus. Many of their metabolites strongly present in those locations as well. You can try Chinese skullcap tincture or 0.5 to 0.3 milligrams of melatonin supplement before bed. You may also consider using blue light blocking glasses while using the computer, which disrupts proper sleep cycles. It's important that you prioritize good sleep as a part of any migraine healing regimen. The next herb I'm going to talk about is milk thistle. Most people have never heard of the liver migraine connection. I hadn't even heard it until two different naturopaths and an herbalist had all brought it up to me. The liver is the organ that metabolizes and detoxifies substances that enter your body. And serotonin is metabolized by the liver. By improving liver function and normalizing serotonin metabolism, the frequency and severity of migraine headaches may be reduced. You can try milk thistle tincture once daily. You can also incorporate other types of liver detoxifiers, such as burdock and dandelion. Puer tea uses its oxidative properties to deliver increased levels of oxygen, which enhances circulation and blood flow. By delivering more oxygen to the brain, Pu'er tea can help stop migraines and reduce free radicals that may trigger them. Both black and green Pu'er tea contains caffeine, which also seems to have positive effects for migraine treatment as well. Try working Pu'er into your morning tea regimen or replacing coffee with it. You can also utilize turmeric powerful anti-inflammatory which may help reduce pain. One Iranian study found a significant reduction in migraine attack frequency and a reduction in markers of inflammation in the group that received both curcumin and omega-3 fatty acids with turmeric. Other herbs for migraine relief may include oat straw, a nervine used to deeply relax and build the nerves, or nettles, which are replenishing, sedative, and also nervine. Their general support for the nervous system and many other systems of the body, like the kidneys. As a common weed, it can be easily wild foraged and brewed fresh. You can also consider working with feverfew, which works by preventing the release of the vasoactive peptides that are involved in vasodilation following vasoconstriction in migraine attacks. You want adequate levels of parthenolide, the active constituent. This can be taken as a tincture or a capsule. 
There's also butter burr, which has been shown to decrease the frequency, intensity, and duration of migraines about 50% after 12 weeks. You can try using 50 milligrams twice per day. The herb rhodiola increases the transport of tryptophan, the amino acid, which increases the generation of serotonin by 30%. Rhodiola also combats vasodilation-derived migraines specifically. Rhodiola can best be used in tincture form. And lastly, there's motherwort, a nervine and adaptogen. Motherwort is effective at calming anxiety and reducing stress response and can be added to any tea blend and prepared as a decoction. I also want to give a note to fish oil, EPA and DHA fish oils. Studies in patients with severe intractable migraine demonstrated very significant reduction of headache when those individuals supplemented their diets with fish oil daily for three weeks. So you could try incorporating more mackerel, sardines, salmon, anchovies, or other particularly oily fish as well as trying a fish oil supplement, though you need to be aware of how fresh those fish oil supplements are. Um, They need to be tested for their uh, freshness so that you are not having rancid oil as your fish oil supplement. So make sure that you're getting a good quality source of your fish oil. There are a few essential oils that you can work with, either diffusing them or using them topically. These are copaiba, which helps with stress reduction, pain relief, and improved circulation. Peppermint, which contains menthol to help muscles relax, to ease pain, and to calm nausea. And qiang huo, which is used in traditional Chinese medicine to release the exterior and disperse cold. It's sometimes known as head Q, and it's a supplement that you can work with to alleviate migraine pain. And lastly, there's micronized progesterone, which calms neurons by acting on the GABA receptors in the brain. So you can buy a cream or a capsule used daily, starting about five days before the onset of your next menstruation, to prevent migraine attacks. Lastly, there are some general guidelines to using herbs and supplements that I want to talk about. The first thing is, you know, I just gave such a long list and I always want you to introduce new herbs one by one. So you may get really excited and want to buy a bunch of different herbs so that you can start working with them, which is great and you can develop that relationship with them, but it's really important to identify whether they're helping or hurting you. And this is different for every person. So as much as someone can recommend an herb to you, only you really know if it's making you feel better or not. So you need to be aware of that when you first start something new that you've never consumed before. You can do a skin test for allergic reactions before using a new herb. That means to just Gently rub it on your skin to see if you get any kind of a reaction. You can do this with a tincture or with a dried herb, and usually your skin will reach out to you if it does not agree with you. And lastly, you want to use your fertility awareness charts to mark down when you take supplements so that you can make notes about how you feel across time. It's really hard to go back and think of what you ate for breakfast three weeks ago, but with the 
addition of a chart or a food chart, you might actually be able to do that, right? So fertility awareness provides that when it comes to supplement taking and understanding what's working for you and what's not. So I hope this podcast can help you start healing your migraines. They're truly the worst, and I'm here to support you on your journey. I've been through a lot with migraines, and I finally feel like I'm over the first hurdle of getting better, but I'm still working very hard every day to prevent them by sticking to my personal regimen and trying to make the best decisions for me in everyday life. Today we covered the different types of migraines, some possible theories about why migraines happen, and lots of different strategies to address migraines through earth medicine. One of the biggest ways you can make this shift to healing your migraines is to start living by an awareness of your cycle. I think FAM is really talented at bringing all of that awareness to you with this very visual, very analytical thing. That really helped me see that my migraines weren't random. They might not have been caused by food triggers directly, but there was definitely a pattern. And identifying that pattern was my first step to getting better. So I hope that fertility awareness can provide that for you too and help you begin to unravel your personal migraine story. So I hope that this can make a difference. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with someone who might benefit from it. You can find my show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. If you can take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review me, I would really appreciate that as it helps more people find this show. This episode is brought to you by my fertility awareness education initiative, hashtag FamTaughtMe. You can subscribe to my Patreon and gain access to member services at www.patreon.com slash FamTaughtMe. And follow me on Instagram at FamTaughtMe to connect with me. I'm available for one-on-one consultations, and I've also just published a book as well as a paper fam charting journal, so you can head over to my Patreon or my socials to find out more info. This concludes episode 41 of the Someone Somewhere podcast. Good night.